Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. So welcome to Macklin's Take. And today we find ourselves in a gym, which is where we generally like to be. We're in Birmingham, and this is Frankie Gavin Ringside, ABC. Matt Macklin alongside me as always, myself, Andy Clark. And appropriately enough, it'd be a bit strange if he wasn't with us, it's Frankie Gavin. Frankie, thanks for joining us. This place, this place looks great. I remember the last time I came up to Birmingham was about two and a half years ago. It was before your fight with Sam Eggington. And the thing is, was just about getting off the ground then. So fill us in. How long you been here and um, what's it all about? Uh, yes, we were in a, a different place, actually, when I was fighting Sam. It was a hotel, but we couldn't open when we wanted. Couldn't have the car park as much as we wanted. But now we're situated under Stevie B's gym, and we can do what we want, open when we want. They're really good to us. And uh, we've got about 30 different fighters carded for us. Malcolm Melvin also trains his pros here. So we've got quite a busy gym, really. Is coaching something you, you enjoy, bringing through amateur fighters, young fighters? Is that, is that something, you know, is that your best way of putting back, do you think? Uh, most definitely, yeah. I know it's, some people like, like the amateurs, some people like the pros, but to be honest, I really like the amateurs. I don't really like the pros. Like, I just think like everyone's in it for their own kind, really. But with the amateurs, it's like everyone's trying to help each other out. But at the same time, there is a lot of bitchiness going on, but not as much as in the pros. So definitely the amateurs, because then I've started them off from the, when they first started. So like, I'll get more credit bringing them through. Whether I just bring someone who's already been brought up by someone, then it's different. I mean, does that kind of provide a, a fair enough summary of your own career in a lot of ways preferring the amateurs to the pros is that is that kind of is that kind of how it went for you would you say maybe because I achieved a lot more but at the same time the pros were still good to me as well I got some good opportunities I didn't get to win most of them like the ones were important to me but still had a decent career like with 30 fights 26 wins but like obviously it was nothing compared to my amateur career Matt so you're a little bit older than Frankie but you came through in the same club I think Small Heath and I think the kind of the Bush Telegraph in Birmingham was ablaze from from fairly early on with him, wasn't it? That, that there was someone coming through who, who you know was special. Yeah, I, I remember Frankie. Uh, he boxed for Heartlands ABC first, Billy Smith, and then he joined Smallheath. Uh, and I was still at box. I was boxing for Smallheath at the time, 
אני וזה צ'ייקיס, לא אוקשיט, אבל הוא היה בג'ים, כל יום, והוא היה טוב פייטר, הוא היה הרבה פייטרים, הוא היה הרבה יותר ממה שהוא היה חייב. ואני זוכר, אני זוכר שהוא היה בבקסה באמריקה, והוא היה בבקסה לבקסה גארי סטו, שהוא היה גם הרבה טוב פייטר, ואני לא יודע מה זה היה, אבל אני חושב שהוא היה משהו מדהים, כאילו... Nine kilo away. It was, it was obscene amount of weight for, for a kid to give away. Ten kilo. Was it ten kilo? It was mental amount of weight for him to give away. And you could, I mean, he looked ten kilo lighter in the ring. And it was, I mean, it was a hell of a fight. I mean, there was absolutely nothing in it. And I remember thinking, God, that kid, that kid's got a battle, man. He's tough. And um, I suppose, yeah, so he'd always been cheeky, but I think he, he you know, he, he backed it up. You know, he went in there and, and, and stood his ground and, And really fought his heart out, so he really massively went up in my uh, estimation and then so I was, was obviously rooting for him to do well. I was very much kind of uh, the golden boy on the England set up down at Crystal Palace with, with um, you know, I was kind of the young boxer of the year in 2000 uh, or the Harrison had won the gold he got senior boxer of the year and uh, so I, I'd gone really well with a guy called Calvin Travis, Nigel Travis's dad. he was the national coach at the time, and I was um And I was kind of banging the drum, listen, there's this kid from our club, Frankie Gavin, he's really, really good, just needs a bit of work with him and all this. And he was uh, probably the, the kind of standout schoolboy coming through at the time was a kid called Stephen Smith. And Paul, obviously, very, very good friend of mine. We've been good mates since we were 15. I was very friendly with all the Smith family. And uh, Frankie ended up boxing Stephen and beating him. And, uh, you know, he got onto a couple of squads And he just, you went from there really, didn't you? He just went on from, uh, did you win, I don't think, you won a scoreboard title, or did you win the yeah, seniors? Yeah, won the last scoreboard yeah, title. So he, yeah. yeah, he hadn't won one up until that point. Then he won one in the seniors, come down on the squads and that. Like I say, I was very much kind of the blue-eyed boy on the England set up. I was the, the t- team captain, young bucks really, that type of thing. Um, won the senior ABAs then at 18. And then Frankie kind of beat Stephen Smith, went to the Junior Olympics, won a gold medal there. And then just went from strength to strength to strength and literally won everything. I mean, it was like, I don't I can't remember going to a tournament that I didn't win gold medal and get best boxer of the tournament. Um, certainly the most decorated amateur, the most consistent amateur uh, that I remember before or after me, you know, even, even from what I can remember reading about guys coming through and guys coming after, there was nobody. There was guys that did great and win a gold medal in a, in a, world cha- in, in a tournament. But no one that went consistently, time after time after time, winning gold medal after gold medal and beating your Russians and these other guys. He was um, absolutely gifted as an amateur. There was just really no one could touch a good day at that time. No, not in the end. No, I think for England, I had 67, won about 62. I won my last 40 as an amateur. Then I lost to Kindling and Valentino before that. We both went on to win world titles or was world champion. Then I was on a 35-fight win streak before that. So in the end, I think I just had it a bit boxed off in the end. Yeah. And like I said, not only winning gold medals, but box for the tournament, you know, which when you're, you're special when you do that, aren't you? You know, you're not, because you're, you're, that's a, you're the best among the best, you know, of all, the, of all those guys. Um, and, you know, he, he, had a, he had a good career as a pro. You know, if you, didn't, if you hadn't done what you'd have done in the amateur, you went on and then you become British champion British Commonwealth champion European for the European title for, for the world title if you, you know what I mean if, you, if you'd have uh, if you'd have said that to when you were 10 you'd have been delighted but I think because of what you achieved at the Amazon probably how talented you were you know there were big expectations but you know there's um, 
Because life is enough. <laughs> life gets in the way. <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, I was looking back at the, the World Championships that you won in 2007 and the fighters that you beat and the margins that you beat them by. And you beat them easily, uh, including Tischenko, who was the Olympic champion, the Russian in the semi-final, who, as far as I remember, he definitely hadn't lost since Athens. I don't think he'd lost for a bit before Athens. So he was on a long unbeaten streak and, and you dispatched him. And nobody, no British male fighter, Nicola Adams has done it, has won a gold at the World Championships other than you. Now, if you follow amateur boxing, international boxing carefully, which plenty of people listening to this will, you'll know that we don't do as well in World Championships as we do in Olympic Games. Getting medals is really hard. Peter McGraw got one, a bronze. Anthony Fowler got one, a bronze. Anthony Joshua got one. Carl Froch got one. David Hay. But there's not many. I'm missing some out there. Neil Perkins. Luke Campbell and Neil Perkins. Luke Campbell. But there's not many. Um, so to grab that gold even if somebody now goes on to do it you did it first and if you do something first it's kind of unique in, in terms of records because nobody can ever equal that most definitely yeah uh, the world's were, the world's was good for me probably one of the best I've ever boxed I remember the two tournaments before I was really struggling with the weight and I went to the both of them at 64 and one goals there I was really moaning about it, saying I want to go 64, but they wouldn't let me. I remember getting out of the ring every night. I was losing £7 a night to fight. But in that one tournament, I beat a Barbados kid first. He wasn't very good. I beat him 20 nil, and I stopped it. And then I beat uh, Azerbaijan kid, who was the reigning world self-medalist. I beat a Kazakhstan, who won the 2011 World Championships. I beat a, the Turk. He was uh, the junior world champion at the time. He just moved up, so... I beat some good lads, really. Valentino in the final when I won the next World Championships at the, at the same weight. So I had a really tough choice. Hey, hey, ki- hey, hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in hell, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called The Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to The Desire and Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! This is so crazy! How different was the setup, the the amateur setup then to, to what it is now because I've only really followed it closely since they've been up in Sheffield and the resources have been as they are now uh, and the the backing and the support for the fighters is, is pretty phenomenal up there they're full-time athletes really I mean how different was it when you were doing it and when you were doing it Frankie well Frankie would have been down at Crystal Palace he was probably the last group of his age that caught the end of that and then they were the ones that went to Sheffield first when that first all started so I was very much kind of the Crystal Palace days, you know, the, the ones before me were Carl Frotch, David Hay, um, like I said, then after me, the likes of Frankie, Stephen Smith, all them let kids come along, Kevin Mitchell. So, um, yeah, Frankie, Frankie would probably answer that question a lot better because he would have actually been in that transitional period. Yeah, uh, I went to Sheffield about two or three years just before it ended. I'm, I remember 2000... Crystal Palace, you mean? Sheffield. Was it? Oh, was it? Sorry, Crystal Palace, I said Crystal before it ended, yeah. I mean, I went to a full-term pro... I went to Sheffield about two years. We finished uh, the Commonwealth Games in Crystal Palace. Then we'd done a little stint in Manchester, but not long. Then we went straight to Sheffield. And to be fair, Sheffield had everything more modern, everything part of that, but I still miss Crystal Palace more. 
there was always used to stuff in the lodge. You could have more of a laugh there. There was nothing around there, so it was just a big field. So we could have like a bit of fun instead of in Crystal Palace. I mean, Sheffield, all you could do was food and stuff like that, which is obviously my downfall. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> what are you wearing now? <laughs> uh, about four and a half, I think. Yeah, well, I was, yeah. well, I was about just under 15 at one point. Before my last fight in July, just gone, I started training Malcolm Melvin. And I was 49 after my first session. And we got down to 10-11 for the first fight. Which is not hard work, to be fair. But I think because I'm training people, I forget to train myself. And then train them, and then I end up going out for food with them and stuff like that. And it's just not working the way it should be. <laughs> how, how much of a problem has that been for you in the time that you've been boxing? Because weight is... You have to be obsessed with it. You have to be absolutely obsessed with it. To, to an unnatural degree, you have to do things that any kind of doctor or physician wouldn't recommend that you do even if you do it right that's just a fact I think it's, it's, a, it's a crazy sport boxing in, in many ways I mean would you I think most people would agree that if you boxed at super lightweight at 140 pounds as a pro then you would have given yourself a much better chance but it's so easy to say you know just, just stick to the diet stick to the diet because everybody tells me you always trained hard that was never the problem it was just you had that you had that weakness for that weakness for the fridge, if you like. Yeah, I think because I used to absolutely starve. I used to kill myself making weight. I remember I was in the, the juniors and I got down to 48, but I didn't even get to it. They just said, going at 48. We'll put you in the cause at 51. I remember killing myself when you were there. Because Tom, you rang Tom Chain and said, Frank, there's no way he's going to make that weight. But that wasn't out of no fault of my own. I just grew. And it absolutely was killing me. I remember I'd done a mad session and I didn't lose anything. And then I was scared to say, oh, I can't make it. So my Matthew rang my trainer and said to him, Frank isn't going to make the way for this. He's just not on him no more. He's grown. And I think because I kill myself that much as an amateur for the worlds, for everything else, I think the discipline just went when I went pro. The better parts of life were coming through more money, stuff like that. And I'll be honest, I think uh, I just didn't have what the willpower I used to have. But I mean, the things I've done were completely wrong and they weren't they were abnormal. I used to starve myself to make weight, put myself in positions where other people probably would have got knocked out. But because I could move quite well, I got away with it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the problem a lot with Frankie was um, lack of discipline because like, I've seen him training and Jimmy trains hard you know so you know, he could box for fun 12 rounds spar 12 rounds no problem but he was always about making weight making weight and you know it doesn't matter how hard you train if you go out there and you eat a McDonald's and a bag of crisps and chocolate and you fizzy pop you're not going to lose the weight you know and then if you like the thing what for was frustrating I think for people around Frankie or that knew him was he did really struggle to make the weight, so he did feel like death. So he did think, did want to have a blowout then. But if he hadn't, if you're trying to take it all off in two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, you are going to struggle. But if you'd have done it over 10 weeks, bit by bit by bit, you wouldn't have felt as bad, then you wouldn't have blown up as much. So it's like, it's pulling the elastic band, isn't it? You know, you'd, you're crashing it down, you feel like death. Then you, you do need a release, or you do want to eat and stuff your face. But if you just took, if you, if you did it over a 10 week period as opposed to a two week period, do you know what I mean? And it, and it's, 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 it's an, it's, it doesn't matter now, does it? It's lost done, but it's frustrating because you didn't achieve what you should have done. And, it, you know, you, the lack of discipline and just. But I think as well, I, I think we're talking about Birmingham earlier. It's like, Brent McCrack was a good fighter, but who was around him? You know, he was training in the gym up in the cauliflower area in town, all amateurs, do you know what I mean? He was sparring and training with amateurs. You're not going to hit your heights. You're going to dip down to that level. I came along to kind of turn pro out the blue by accident. Robert approached me. He was doing a deal with Mick Hennessy. I was like, well, I was going to wait for the Olympics in Athens. Then all of a sudden, I know I'm boxing. Eight. It didn't work out with Robert because 
Paddy Lynch got involved, and it, I've done a deal with Warren. Anyway, I'm boxing in eight weeks. I don't even know where I'm going to train. I'm like, well, I'm 18. I, wanna, I don't want to move away from home. I trained with Paddy, Paddy and Tommy. Not knowledgeable boxing men, but they're multi-millionaire busy businessmen so you're training in the gym with no one in it no one to learn from no one for to aspire to no one to kind of follow or be guided by and I think actually in my career and I said this to Carl Fratch when I was talking the way I said even though the right move for me to do at the time was definitely to go with Frank Warren not McKenzie no brainer I would have been better off making that mistake of going with McKenzie but actually tr- being trained and managed and guided by Robert because that was more important. As a, as a young fighter being developed, it doesn't really matter if I'm on Sky or on, on BBC or, you know, at 18. Who cares, really? It doesn't really matter. Do you know what I mean? As long as I'm winning my fights and I'm learning and I'm maturing and I'm growing and I'm developing, that's what's really important. You know, if I'm good enough, I'm going to get there anyway, which, which I did in the end. You got there anyway. But it's like, you know, it's not... It's, it's not a, do you know what I mean? It's not a race. It's not who gets the nose in front. It's, it's who finishes. And, you know, Carl had Robert and he stayed with Robert his whole career. And I believe in an ideal world, it's good to have that one trainer and stay with them your whole career because you get to know each other. You get the bond. They, get, they know what makes you tick. They know what you're good at. They know what you're not good at. They know when you're having a bad day. They know, they know you personally. They know if there's something going on outside the box. Do you know what I mean? It's a, it's a, you, and that, then you can perfect and perfect and improve and improve. Your training camp, when you're changing training, I know myself, you know, I was playing with Billy Graham. Over a four-year period from when I went there to when I left there, I'd gone from someone that was kind of more of a boxer with a good jab that could punch to a middleweight version of Ricky Hatton, you know what I mean? Because day by day, you're doing drills, drills, repetitions. You're going that way, you, you, you progress, that's the way you're being built. Then, you know, you, you go on the flip side of that with Buddy McGurt and you left hands down, shooting from the jab. Now, now I'm probably overcompensating, trying to get back to boxing. Now I'm overcompensating and I'm becoming just a boxer and now I'm neglecting certain strengths and attributes like my physical strength, like my body punching, like my uh, intensity and tenacity. And then you, you, you're going from bit to bit, but I think, kind of waffling off the point but my point I'm trying to make is in Birmingham we've had some outstanding individuals but because it's just been an individual because there's no sort of solid you know successful trainer coach mentor maybe maybe more a mentor important than even a coach but a mentor there that's experienced that the other that the fighter that's a top amateur that's turning pro looks up to respects and thinks I'm going to learn from you and I'm going to trust you to guide my career I don't think we've never really had that. You know, I mean, Robert went with the Lynches and they were, you know, they knew the game, but they kind of had their time, if you know what I mean. They'd been and gone a bit and then I followed suit on that. And then Frankie kind of came with me, ended up in Manchester, you know, with Farnell, which wasn't really the move for you. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, and then you're training that and you're back with Tommy for a bit and you're all over the place and you're never finding that. I don't, you know, I think there's, um, I think Robert, myself and Frankie, for one reason or another, probably never really hit the heights they should have or achieved what they should have and, and, and that's yeah all three had good careers but probably could have done a lot more if you look back to the amateur days and when you're at tournaments and you're boxing Russians you're boxing Cubans you're boxing Americans you're boxing all these kids from everywhere and you're winning these medals and you're beating them regularly how much kind of mixing is there at international tournaments? Did you ever get talking to, to any of the, the coaches there, for example? Did they ever come up to you and just say, look, I love the way you box. You know, you've got such good skills. You know, when did you start boxing? Did they show an interest in you? Because, yeah. I mean, maybe you could have gone and trained with anybody. 
Yeah, definitely. When I first went pro, I remember I was speaking with Matthew. Uh, I went to watch Matthew in Manchester with uh, Ricky Hatton against Les Carner. I met Delahoy after. Then I met Richard Schaefer, and there was an offer on the table there to go to America straight away. But I just had my firstborn, and I didn't want to leave him, which was a bad time to really have him, to be honest with you. And then, uh, but he wasn't planned, it just happened. So then I couldn't, I didn't want to leave to go to America with my newborn. I used to get on really well with Billy Walsh from Ireland. He was a great coach. When I boxed in Russia, I remember at the end, the Russian coach come and give me a Russian kit and a flag and everything, saying that I was very good. So I used to get, once I started winning stuff, I used to start speaking to all the coaches. I remember when I went to a tournament once, and I threw a punch at the beginning of a fight, and I missed by a mile, and it went on the score. And everyone was going, I think, because you were so well-known, and because your reputation was as good as it was. Like I was scoring more than I probably should have anyway. I mean, you can't, but you could rewind the clock back. And I was advising, for, if you could go back to that time when he was talking about Richard Schaefer, even though, you know, probably you think, you know, you, you're a British world champion, fighting on Skype, that's where you need to be, that's your market. I'd have said, knowing everything as a personality, your style as a fighter, you know, outside, what are you going to call them, influences or outside distractions, you know, I, I think at that time you'd have been better off going to Las Vegas living over there, signing with Golden Boy and training by someone like Floyd Mayweather Senior who I think from a style trainer point of view, I think that would have been a good marriage. Also, he don't take no shit so he'd have, he'd have, he'd have, made, he'd have cracked the whip, made you live the life and gone, if you'd have gone over there with Rhea, I, I think that would have been the best move for you at that time but it's easy to say that now yeah. when you're a young kid and you, you know what I mean? It's a big move, isn't it? You know, it's a big, big move and you would go, I've a lot of money here with Frank Warren and you're a big name here and you think Birmingham... It's it's everything. Everyone can say this in hindsight, but you know, I, I, for the sake of hindsight, if we did have it, I, I think that's what you probably would have been the thing to do. But like I say, it's easy to say that now, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Well, something I'm, I'm keen to to get your thoughts on is the weight of expectation on top international amateurs when they turn professional. Everybody within boxing knew what you'd done because of what happened at the Olympics, where you were unable to make the weight and you couldn't box. You didn't manage to get that Olympic medal, which would have given you that bigger profile in the wider public consciousness. But when fighters turn over now, there's a, there's a big fanfare. Whether they've medaled at major tournaments or not, but fair enough. Olympic places aren't given away on street corners. You know, it's, it's an achievement to get there. Do you think it's reasonable, the pressure that was, was on you? Was it, or is it reasonable, the pressure that's on them now? Because we talk about them in terms of, oh, they're all going to be world champions. Now, we know that they're not all going to be world champions. And it's not really reasonable to expect that they, that they will be, is it? And I think that the pressure is uh, it's expected, really. You've done it as an amateur. And to be fair, I, put, I thought straight away when I turned pro, I was going to be a world champion. I thought it was a given, I'll be honest. I thought, I'm definitely going to do it. And so the pressure wasn't really bothering me because I put that pressure on myself anyway. I think just as the discipline went little bits and little bits, then I think a few years ago is when I started to realise it's not going to happen for me. Like when I look at Josh Kelly now, everyone's like, he's going to be a world champion. Where realistically, I don't think he is. I've, I've seen that Ray Robinson. I beat Ray Robinson as an amateur. And I, he's nothing special. He's just like, not even a gatekeeper for world level, really. And really, realistically, you could have given the decision. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? You could have given him. Maybe a draw was fair. I'm not sure. Like I thought Cheeseman the other day was on the wrong end of a draw. I thought he definitely won. But it's just, it's what it is, really. So when you, when you look at the, the most recent crop who've come through, and we see them on Sky a lot, um, 
to go kind of like up in weight through the weights since they turned pro just so I don't miss anybody out uh, Joe Cordina Kelly Fowler Akoli Kez Ashfak's another one Joe Joyce up at super heavyweight I mean there's medals there between them Joyce is the most decorated because he got an Olympic silver and a world championship bronze I mean how equipped do you feel that they are to, to go on and win titles I think Cordina will win a world title or he's got the ability to I don't think Kelly does I don't think Fowler does not being I like Fowler as well he's a top kid I just don't think he wins a medal especially at 154 I think it kills him you know realistically uh, Joe Joyce I, d- I don't like his style but he's very effective and he's working for him so you don't know Akoli he's not going to win no uh, Buatzi I could he's looking Buatzi, great I miss Buatzi out there's bound to be brilliant, one yeah uh, yeah, but I mean, Boatti's the pick for me. I think he's uh, the most rounded, looks solid, good jab, nice balance, uh, good variety, variety shot repertoire, all that. Um, picks his shots well, and I think he's got the attitude and the dedication and the discipline to go with it, uh, which we know is important. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's an important, massively important fact, and not just and and it's not just and listen up. I wasn't. I uh, <laughs> I was a naughty boy myself. A little bit in between fights. I'm not gonna judge judge Frankie here either. You know, there was uh, maybe Frankie looked up to me and thought I got away with it a bit, and, and maybe I was a bad example in some in some areas. But certainly for ten weeks, I, I, and I trained with. There was no one that trained harder than me. There was no one that was more dedicated, disciplined. You know, but like we say, but, but in between fights, I didn't live the life in between fights. And Frankie, you didn't live the fight. You, I mean, you didn't live the life in between fights. I used to leave it till late. You, know, you said earlier, yeah. I, used to, I remember my box wood ice. I was 11 stone 9 on the Monday and I made 10-7 on the Thursday. Killed me to do it. But it was just one of them things. I should have lived it a bit longer than I was. I started my camps a bit late. I thought, yeah, I've always got next week. I'll lose it next week. And then all of a sudden the weeks would creep up. It would be two weeks out, like stone and half overweight. What am I going to do? Frankie's training was always about making weight, you know. And, and, and he just, it was always, it was always... Yeah, it was always like, oh God, I've only got four weeks and I'm two stone. And, you know, there was never any thought about style or tactics or technique or skills or working on this back in the, Do you know what I mean? It was always, not even fitness, because you were always quite fit, weren't you? Yeah, you could spar 12 rounds now, probably time. still. But it just, but that's because he's good as well, so he we can dictate and be clever, do you know what I mean? But it's, it, it, it never, it never, you never took where you were from this. I mean, you're supposed to take a week or two off. Get back in the gym and take your fitness and your stamina and your skills and your tactics and everything from this fight into your next camp and then into the next camp and that's how you improve and keep. Where really, what Frankie had, he had as an amateur and he just thought started doing it over twelve rounds and actually probably got at least in the amateur system you were probably kept busy between championships and international tournaments. Where when you become a pro and you start earning money and you're only boxing four times a year and five times a year and then you can I've got the day before weigh in and whatever well, coming over on the house fighter. We'll just pay him an extra few quid. And we'll do it. You know that. No, do you know what I mean. That lack of discipline starts creeping in, and all of a sudden, you know, it was uh, that that kind of happened, didn't that it? Exactly that. Yeah, I remember. And I had a lot of personal issues before the Woodhouse fight, as you know, Matt. And uh, things are there. Got on top. I remember when I on the Friday I didn't get in until the Sunday morning. And then I was fighting the very next week. It was crazy, but I shouldn't have really got in the ring. I had loads of pressure on me. I felt at home. I had a lot. A lot of things went wrong for me, and I've, mentally I weren't ready to get in the ring. I remember sitting in a little black tunnel before I went out to fight Woodhouse, and the music come on and they called me out, and I was 50-50, I was able to walk back to the changing room or not. It was crazy. So when you look back at it, what do you think a fighter needs 
we were talking about this the other day, or we were going to bring this up as a, as, as a topic um, with Adam Booth maybe at the weekend, but um, we couldn't quite get hold of him in the end. What do you think a fighter needs to be a success in terms of the people around him or her at the start of their career and the advice that they need? Because what always strikes me as being absolutely insane about professional boxing is that you turn pro, the board will have a look, might even come down and see you if there's nothing to watch from the amateurs. Obviously, didn't need to do anything with either of you two. Well, they just granted you the license as long as you pass the medicals. And then you've got all these decisions to make by yourself. I mean, how can you possibly get them all right? And Matt's mentioned the, the lack of discipline. And, and okay, okay. But people aren't perfect and everybody needs help with things. But in boxing, you just... you. You dive into this pool and it's full of sharks and pirates and you're just expected to stay afloat. Yeah, I mean... Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. In, a, in football, you, you, they're very much insulated and they're protected and they're, they're kept in a routine and they've got to check in and they've got to be in there at pretty much however many days, five days a week and they play a match, they have a day after back in, they've got an agent, they've got the football manager, they've got umpteen amount of backroom staff on them. You know what I mean? They're very much kept and protected and, 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 and made. It's not even a case of being lack of discipline. They just have to, they'd be, they'd be let go so that they're kept very much in you know, it. I think boxing, it's very much like, you know, you negotiate your deal, you've got your contract, you get your fight date. And, you know, unless, you know, unless you've got a, a really special bond with your trainer, stroke manager, or, you know, it, it, it's, it's, you left. So I'm, my own, from my own personal experience, I, like I say, I turned pro very much out of the blue. Robert was someone I looked up to that I thought was going to be my trainer, manager. Um, he approached me about going with Hennessy, uh, Paddy Lynch intervened, had a meeting with Warren, you know, then Hennessy and Robert, they kind of fell out with me. I ended up wanting to stay on which then I ended up turning pro. And it all just kind of happened kind of quickly. I hadn't really thought too much about it. I was 19, I was tr- training at home. But I didn't really have a mentor, someone that I went to with everything that I trusted. Not only not only that I trusted to do what was best for me, but that, that I trusted that they were competent. You know, it's all right, you know, my... my I would have trusted my dad. My dad's not going to rob me. My dad's only going to want what's best for me. But my dad doesn't know boxing. So it's having someone that you trust, trust to do what's best for you, but also that, you know, they don't have an ulterior motive. They're not in with the promoter. So maybe, do you know what I mean? That, that, that their agenda's pretty pure, but also that they're competent as I move through the levels. Because I see myself as someone that wanted to go all the way, as will a Frankie. So it's, it's, it, you need both, I believe. And, uh, and it's crucial, you know. I mean, it, it, boxing—it's a—it's a crazy existence, you know. It's a lonely life. You got to do some pretty hellish things, you know. The diet, the lo- the loneliness, the you know, the training—you're really pushing yourself to the limits. And I think it, it, a lot of boxers have got this self-destruct button, and it's um, you know, it, it's not so. It, it's, it, you're okay for the generally speaking, you're okay for the two months, two three months you're training for a fight. It's in between fights. That's where it can all go wrong. And 
you know, it's 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 if you know if you if you if you settle down in life with a wife or kids, maybe that's good. But well, mate, if it's not the right if it's not the right bird, then it's going to be even bigger problems. You know, so it's it's you know what I mean. It's 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 life out. It's not when you're in the gym and you're in that eight week camp or ten whatever it is. It's it, you're kind of okay because your day's structured. You've got routine. You've got purpose, and it, and it and it goes by, and you've got something to focus on. I believe it's when the, it's when the fight's out the way and you're on the high. I know you got six weeks where I might go to the gym, but I don't have to <laughs> because of, you know what I mean. So, so really, what happens with that? I might go to the gym is actually you don't go to the gym, and I don't. For me, you don't go back to the gym until I have to because I know I've got ten weeks to go, and if I don't go now, I'm not going to be fit and I'm not going to make the weight. And then, really, I've just for the ten weeks in between where nothing's happened, what have I done? I've just ate rubbish, haven't trained, got into all sorts of bullshit outside of the ring, you know, and it's just chaos. And it's, 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 and I'm not saying everyone, but, you know, I certainly, I had my fair share. Frankie def- had def- more than my fair had share. Had more than his fair share. And it's <laughs> like, it's, it's that structure, it's that routine. But I think that's why it's so crucial that, and I, I've spoke to you about this before, and they set out your stall before you start, get your team sorted. And like, don't just think, oh shit, I'm from Manchester, so I better train with him. Now, who do you want to train with you? Who suits you? Is, is he is, is moving away from home an option? If it's not an option, then get the best trainer where you're from. If, if, it, if you do want to train with Joe Bluggs, and Joe Bluggs is in Florida because he's a great trainer and he suits your style, then go and move there. Because you to, to live the life means live the life. That means have your fight, go on holiday for a week or two, let you get your stitches out, get the bruising down, get back in the gym. You know, Man United... Uh, play on a Saturday and win and they're back in the ground on the Tuesday and I know they're playing next week and it's a bit different but what I mean is it's your job it's your life like live the life it's, it's, it's like training for six weeks now you're not training for six weeks you're training for the next six years because you've got to be improving each fight and you're still growing do you know what I mean and certainly once you're up there then you can maybe take a bit of time off and you can pick and choose because you're at a certain stage and hopefully you're at a certain maturity level in life as well but it's um I, I do think that, that, that there's uh, it's, it's still a bit mad boxing in that sense. Do you know what I mean? Not, not every individual, but you know, every single football player has got a massive support system around them while they're playing. In fact, that's just a fact. You know, boxers, what's the support system? If you've got a great mentor, stroke mentor, trainer relationship with your coach, manager, great. But what 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 if it's just a coach that you go to gym and train? What what about who, who's kind of keeping a tab on you? For the eight weeks in between for the next fight before you start training for the next fight well that that, that was exactly my my point that's exactly my question is that this is it's such an unusual profession to go into there are so many things that you have to try and figure out by yourself when you're young who can you trust he's telling me that he's the best but i don't really know him is that even true i mean it's a it, it's a it's a minefield, really. Yeah, it's a crazy game, yeah. Uh, I t- turned pro and got managed by Frank Warren, which is a complete conflict of interest, really. Same here. Yeah, and I don't... And I don't uh, it's crazy, like Matthew saying then. I was about to sign me Hennessy, but because I went and met Warren, they didn't want to speak to me again, because I'm obviously forward that deal might be better. He never spoke to me again when I met him. That's what happened with me. You know, and, then, and then I felt emotionally torn, because Robert was my hero, and he was best mates with Mick, and... But I'm thinking, that's not really the move to go. Everyone's telling me Warren I should go with, and you're just emotionally torn. And, you know, and the right advice was Frank Warren is the deal to do. Of course he was. He had a great deal with Sky Sports and he's proven time and time again who he's brought through. Yeah, he's a, 
there's rumours he's a bit hooky with the payment and, but at the end of the day Nigel Ben, Nassim Hamad Ricky Hatton all these people that come through they came through with Frank Warren you know no disrespect not in a bad way but Mick Hennessy I'd heard Mick Hennessy talk before and I thought he's a waffler he hasn't got a clue and I was only 18 and I knew that do you know <laughs> what I mean but, but Robert was my hero and I looked up to Robert and I trusted Robert who's a good guy and I, wa- I wanted Robert to train and manage me but Robert was partners and, and best mates with Mick so it was like I felt emotionally torn and then you, they, next thing you know you're turning pro and it's just I never n- never really had that mentor and I probably was always searching for it really you know Billy Graham you know jumping around yeah. the place really and, and, and changing things but uh, it, and like you, you said then about the ind- oh, sorry you mentioned who yeah this guy's telling you come with me I know what I'm doing well, who do I trust? You know, then, then, then the indecision creasing. You don't know, you know, you're telling me this, he's telling me that, they're telling me the other. Who do, who do I believe? Do you know what I mean? It's, 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 um, it's a horrible time, isn't it? Because you, you're terrified of making the wrong decision. So that's what makes you so indecisive. But I don't know, Birmingham's always been a bit, I think, lacking in compared to other places with that. Maybe that's just my perception of it. But I just think when you look at, do you know what I mean? There's, not, there's never really, there hasn't been a solid kind of experience, Jim. Like, John Pigments today, at least, at least they're very consistent. They're in the gym, they're in Birmingham, they've got a lot of pros turned over, but they haven't really took someone, say, as an ABA champion and brought them to become a world champion. So Frankie was look that's what he was looking for. He was looking for someone that, you know, I want to become world champion. I don't want to just become a Midlands area. I don't want to box at the Tower Ballroom. Do you know what I mean? I want to go all the way. So it's who 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 would he um, who do you tr- who do you follow, I suppose? Yeah, most definitely. I think uh, you need I think if maybe if you're in the British boxing board just got like a little group together so if someone's struggling with what they're going to do they're in position maybe they could bring someone up someone who's like neutral who don't care about any promoter who just like just got the boxers interest at heart I think that might be good if you get someone there I'm glad now because I've been through the career I've got so I've got fighters coming through I've got one lad Jay Turner he's had 25 fights for me 122 he's been to British final he lost to the European champion in the final he's got about 10 knockouts and I think he's going to go places. And because of the situations I've been in, I think I can pass them on to him. Show him he doesn't even, I know he's only 18, but he's never had a drink. Never, had a, never like sat down with anyone. He's just completely living the life. His dad uh, helps him just train full time. So he doesn't have to worry about financial issues. So I think hopefully I can push him in the right way when he turns pro, who to go with and stuff like that. Pass him on the mistakes I made. So hopefully he never makes them. And stuff like that. And with all the other fighters I've got coming through. And the key thing too is to make sure that they try and retain the, the love for the sport, the love for boxing for as long as they can because I think the professional side of anything can, can beat that out of you, whatever it is, whether it's whether you're an actor or you're a musician or, or whatever. What, what was it about boxing right from, the, right from the start that were you just a kind of, I mean there's a big debate in sport the last few years the, as to the extent to which natural talent really exists and whether it's down to conditions and 10,000 hours and all, all these other things, but was it just something that you could do right from the start? No, me and my brother was having this conversation with my mum and a couple of my friends the other day. He said the first time I walked in the gym, he thought I was going to get battered. He said I was so like, like pants, I was like a little girl. He said, he said, but when I had a first bite, I shocked him, even never mind everyone else. And I started off really good. I think I won 17 at my first 19. Then I had a bag patch with it. Then I started training like alongside Matthew and that, and in the Jimmy Small Eve, and I started to up it, up my game a bit. And uh, Tom Chaney took hold of me, and then I started to get like a lot better. Then, but I think if I weren't good at it, I wouldn't have kept at it. If I didn't keep winning and winning most of the things I had, I wouldn't have kept at it. Definitely not. It's a hard sport, and uh, many a times I would have thought I would have walked away. 
but financially I needed to support myself and my family and uh, it's all I know really I can't go out there now and like you said start singing or playing the piano or to be honest I couldn't even go on a building site and build a wall I've never done Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the One Stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan, New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts, One Star Recruits. In terms of the pure enjoyment of it, was it was it those early days when, when everything was just at its absolute peak for you? And would you say that's true for, for most fighters, the pair of you, that it's when you're really getting into it, you're really learning your trade, that's when you're you're most in love with it. Yeah, I, I think so because you, you, you're, um, yeah, because you're, you're still wowed by it all and you're excited by it all and you're, you're dreaming, aren't you? And I think, um, like, I, I loved, I loved the. It was a fantastic journey, the pro career. It was brilliant. There was yeah, ups and downs and times where you felt the world was against you and you felt like you weren't getting the break course and you got you know, a decision here and there, whatever. But all in all, looking back. I can only say it was an unbelievable journey and I met so many great people along the way. But I think definitely the days probably when I was boxing for Young England with me and Paul Smith and, you know, Mark Moran, Steve Birch, um, Terry Fletcher. That, like they, they, Terry Fletcher, good mate, now to this day. Like they were, some of those trips away, unbelievable. And I, and I think it's the time of your life as well. You're 17, 18, you know what I mean? Anything's possible, do you know what I mean? And you're going away together. You, you're, you're on squad you're having the crack you're uh, you're really really rooting for each other like you really are and you know you're boxing four day, four times in four days or whatever and it's a buzz in it I think they even though the you know Madison Square Garden and Vakes and all that stuff the razzmatazz and boxing on HBO and Sky and, and it's great and don't get me wrong and that's what dreams are made of too of course but I do think there was um I do think the times boxing for Young England were, were uh, even more so than senior because I had a brief senior. I won the seniors in my first year and then turned pro. So and I, I did box. My first ever senior bout was for England. That was a full international. But the Young England days for me were, you know, when you're boxing with your, your lads your own age and that you've come up through the ranks with. I think that that, that was a special time, definitely. Yeah. I reckon uh, myself personally, the 2006 Commonwealth Games were the best of mine because... They made out to be such a hard tournament, and everyone, but they're just not really realistically, to be honest. It's like it's one of them where when I went there, I thought, oh, I'm never going to win gold. But when I got there and started looking at the, like Africans, some of them you'd think have never boxed in their life. And I was looking at them and I was thinking, I've got even tomorrow. And I was jumping around my bedroom or wherever I was, laughing to myself, thinking this is going to be so easy. And the, the kid in the final, the kid in the semis, like I'd box an Australian. I think Richie Woodlad had a hundred dollar bet with a journalist from uh, Australia and. Uh, Everyone was going out as a hard fight, but it was just so easy. I stopped them in the second round, and I was like, it was just such a buzz around it. Even when I went back, everyone was raving. I'm not the Commonwealth Games for a world title. I'm making out to be so much more than it was. But at the time, like, you just you go, yeah, yeah, you love it. Like, I'm really happy. I'm, yeah. I mean, it was a really hard tournament, but knowing deep down it wasn't. And the fact that we went away with G, I remember when I come off the plane on the way back, they let me be one of the flag bearers to walk out. 
Uh, and you, you'd been with that group of lads for quite a while and you'd become good, good mates. Stephen Smith was like my best friend, yeah. And he was there with me. So I met Stephen through you. When you won a... No, when you boxed in the junior final and you got disqualified, but you shouldn't have. When you hit yeah, me with a body shot and yeah, he said yeah. it was a low blow. <laughs> That's the first time I ever met Stephen then. So I met him through you, really. But then from then, we'd become best friends. It was crazy because I had to box him in the ABCs and we got really close together. Then we went to the Junior Olympics together and I was sitting there, I was sitting in the same room as him and they've gone, you two are fighting each other tomorrow. I didn't have a clue, I thought he was doing 48 kilo, but I think he knew, but I never. So I was like, I had to get up for it then knowing that I was fighting him. Then we had to move the rooms because we were in the same room and everything, it was crazy. And then we become best friends because of it. It's interesting the Commonwealth Games, isn't it? Because the World Championships and the European Championships are rock hard tournaments, really, really hard tournaments. We've won a lot of medals at Euros in the last couple, so... Now I think people have got this idea that that's kind of normal. It's not normal at all. Getting a medal in that's really difficult. Both of those two were a lot harder than the Commonwealth Games. But the Commonwealth Games is on the BBC, um, like the Olympics. So everybody sees it. And I think that's why it kind of has the profile that it has. Yeah, they're ten times as hard, to be fair. In the Europeans I went to, like uh, a boxer Turk called Aidan Salchuk. I don't know if you know him, he boxed Guerrero as a pro. I think he won his first 1970 knock. He was absolutely crazy. Because my style was so awkward, I kept smiling at him and winking at him. He threw me to the floor and kicked me in the ribs. I remember it. And then he spat in the ref's face. He trying to hit the ref. He got banned from boxing for five years, amateur boxing. And his trainer got banned from amateur boxing for life. Then I remember afterwards, I was in uh, the calf. And he walked in behind me and he was a big Turk. I was only a young boy. I thought, oh, I'm dead here. I'm getting it and then Bell, you and Jamie Cox come and tap me on the shoulder and I don't worry, we're here. I was kind of happy over there. But it was good how we all had a bond with each other on the England team. Like Jamie Cox, he come from Swindon. He's not like a, a lad from a typical city. He's like, like a farmer kid and the way we all bonded with him, it was brilliant. And the friends you make over the years. Well, that's it, isn't it? You talk about people you box with on England teams and do you, do you stay in touch? Do you stay in touch with many of them? Yeah, I do. Stephen Smith, obviously, I was just sparring with Kyle for his last fight, so I was down there a lot with Stephen Smith. Still speak to Tony Jeffries quite often. Cal Yafai was on the team with us, I speak to him. There was five of us who were all really close, like Digal Smith, Danny Price from Scarborough, Tony Jeffries and me. We used to like call ourselves the five juniors, even when we were seniors and like, we were 22 and that. We still calling it because we come along together. David Price, I still chat to quite often. Neil Perkins. Oh yeah, David Price friends. boxing uh, on July the twentieth against against David Allen. I mean, he, he's another good example of how the expectation. I think it's not really the expectation. I don't think when it comes to turning pro, because if you've done a lot as an amateur, because that's always been there. In fairness, uh, maybe it was even worse in years gone by when the ABAs would be live on the BBC, and if you were ABA champion, that was a massive big deal. I think what has changed is that it's. Sports fans have become a lot more kind of binary now. Either you're a success or you're a failure. Either you're brilliant or you're shit. Yeah. And so I think it's reasonable to expect Frankie Gavin having won a gold medal at the World Championships. It's reasonable to say that he might go on and win a world title. But it's not reasonable to say that he's a failure if he doesn't. And I think that's the difference now. That's how people think about things. Look at Joshua. The amount of slagging he's getting. I'd love to have what he's got in the bank, or half what he's got in the bank. I'd love to have done what he'd done as a pro, and everybody else who slagged him would have loved to have done that as well. The only people who could probably say I wouldn't, like Mayweather or Canelo or someone, but everyone else would have wanted to do what Joshua's done. And the amount of stick he gets, like, the amount of people who come up to me and go, I mean, I can't shit, look how crappy his chin is. Well, his chin isn't great, no. 
but he's far from shit. I don't like him as a person, but I'm still not going to say he's a shit fighter because he's not. But uh, any, if you're not winning, you're crap. And if you're winning, you're the best thing ever. I remember it, people say, like, when I was winning everything, the amount of offers I used to get to go places, to come here, let's do this. Come, friend, come here, I'll pay for it, don't worry. When you're losing, you don't even hear of them. When I got the European Tour fight last year, I'm not saying I was even going to win it, but the amount of people who came back out of the woodwork saying, yeah, we're coming, can we get us a free ticket or whatever. So people jump. When you, things are going well, people are on you. When they're not, you've got to make sure you pick your friends and your circle wisely. So that's, that's as true as people say it is, because it's, it, it's almost in a way become a bit of a, a cliche, but I remember, uh, I remember a great line from Sergio Martinez, and he said that, that, after, that myself, yeah. after he beat Chavez, after he beat Helio Cesar Chavez, he had, what was it, 1,200 missed calls, he said, or something like that. Yeah. After he lost to Cotto, he had four, three were an unknown number, and one was his mum. So people do, they love a winner, don't they? But, but as I say, as an observer like me, you hear that a lot, but that, that's, that really happens, does it? That really happens. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the other element of that is um, people probably think, well, what are they going to say to you as well? I don't think that it's not. I don't think it's necessarily that they don't care because there will be people that you know are friends of yours and and and, and you know they'll be gutted for you, but they're probably also realizing you, you, what are they going to say to you? They're going to say you're going to be devastated and thinking, well, you know, I want to ring what I want to say, but uh, it's nice to get the text or the call. Yeah, it is nice to get it. Just even though you know that they're thinking of you or you, or you hope they are. It's, it's nice to get it. Um, yeah, look, it, it, everyone loves a winner, don't they? Let's face it. Everyone, people want to be at the parties. They, don't, they want to be at the weddings. They don't want to be at the funerals. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's like, you know, I think if, you, if, you, if you're a true, if you're really with someone, you've got to go to both. Do you think it's gone a bit far now, the, the way that, just the way that, not just sports fans, just people across the board generally do view things. It is, it is as I said, very, very binary. It's either... It seems to be have gone as far as either you like Joshua or you like Fury. You can't like both. You know, yeah, yeah. it's it's just it's, it's madness, isn't it? Really, I think social media is mad. Full stop. You know what I mean? Like the, the amount of like you say experts that are on there. Like I mean, we we, we commentate most weeks on the fights, and then you know if someone. If we're not commentating on the fight the way Joe Blug sitting in his living room with his bird sees the fight. We, 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 we match room bias because we're not seeing the fight how he sees the fight. He, he's never thought, oh, well, maybe they're experts because he bucks for world titles and he's on it every week and Andy's immersed in boxing and he's commentating on them every week. Maybe, maybe they're seeing it right and maybe, just maybe, I'm seeing it wrong. They, they never sit there and think that. They, they think we must be matchroom biased because I'm not seeing the fight exactly how he's seeing the fight. And he's probably got his bird next to him telling him that he's the cleverest thing in the world and he's right. You're a prick and he's right. <laughs> Egging him on. I don't, I don't mind it. I don't mind it, to be honest. Everybody's got their views and, and they always will have and that's, that's, absolutely, that's absolutely fine. But I think if you're actually... If you're the man in the arena with the dust on his face, as the quote goes, and, and the sweat on his hands, you know, he... There's just, I don't really see what is to be gained from just being quite so hard line about what is success and, and what is failure. You, you won a British title and a Commonwealth title. Lots of people don't do that. You won a British title outright. Most British champions don't do that. So if you'd been offered it when you turned pro, you would have expected more because you were young and, and you didn't necessarily think that you knew it all. But there's an optimism there that... <laughs> I don't want to sound too downbeat, but there's an optimism there that just gets beaten out of you after after a period of time. Frankie had a great career, you know what I mean? He achieved an awful lot, more than most people dream of. 
could he have achieved more? 100%. He had the talent to achieve more. He would have been a bit more disciplined and lived a better life. I think he definitely would have. But he still had a great career. Much better career than 99.9% of those people giving him stick on social media. Ever had the, the, only, the only failure is when you don't try. But being there, daring to be great. Yeah, you will lose. You will fail. You will make mistakes. Listen... As a, as a young man, people are asking, you, you have to be a certain way. You, you, you need an old head on your shoulders, really. You know, they say youth is wasted on the young, and that is such a true <laughs> statement. You know, but it, it's very difficult to put an old head on young shoulders. That's why I've been, you know, I suppose having the right role models, looking up to the right people, that's key. Having the right mentor, someone that you're looking up to, they're older than you, but that you, that, that you do look up to them enough and respect them enough that you're going to follow their advice, you're going to be guided by them. Because people did, any, all the mistakes I made, people told me not to make them. It's not like, it's not like these aren't new mistakes. <laughs> people before me made those mistakes and people before them made those same mistakes and people after me made them and the people after them are going to make them. These are the same mistakes. But it's, it's having that person who you respect enough that will guide you, that you will let guide you, that you'll follow, you know, but, and because there's the other influences out there that you're likely to follow and be tempted to follow that probably aren't great for you. And that, that's the key, isn't it? Getting that mentor, getting that person that, that, that's, got your, that you've, that's got your ear, that you respect and that you listen and that you follow. Because if you don't have that, someone else is going to fill that void. And there's, there's, there's umpteen amount of bad influence out there to fill that void. And then you're following the wrong path. And it's, it's so easy done. And like you say, when, you're, when, when life's kind of structured and you've got purpose and you've got routine, you know, you can stay on track. But it's that in between the fights where it's very easy to go wrong. I think it's hard, though. I think it's, it's difficult when you're in a profession where your peak is... <laughs> comes when you're young that's just unavoidable because it's a physical sport and your mental maturity your mental peak if you like if you like doesn't come when you're young it comes it comes when you get older experience exactly exactly and you just have to try and merge the two as, as best you can but inevitably things are going to going to fall through the cracks and there's just no point really looking back on anything with any real regret because Not you did what you did it the way you did it we all did, yeah, whatever yeah. it is, whatever it is you're doing. You do it the way you do it. You did the best you could at the time. And, yeah, what happened, happened. Particularly in a sport like boxing. And, 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 and it's, all, it's, all, it's the journey. It's all part of the journey. And you had a great journey, yeah. as I did, and we all did. And, and you, you're a part of it, and it's like, could you have done better? Because everyone could say that in life, couldn't they? Everyone makes, if you're not making mistakes, well, then you're not living. It's easy, it's easy to sit on the outside and not... It's easy to be that guy in the stand telling Alex Ferguson what he should be doing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, everyone, everyone's an armchair seat expert. Well, you get that... If he, if he took a second one, then, mate, you go down there, you pick the team, you tell them, he'd absolutely shit himself because he's just a guy in the stand telling everyone. He's an arm seat, armchair expert, do you know, an expert on social media, coating everyone what they should and shouldn't do, but he hasn't got the balls to sit there and put himself in a... He doesn't want to dare to fail. You know, failure's painful, isn't it? Making mistakes, losing, yeah. it's painful. You're getting laughed at, but whatever. You're not, not achieving as what you, It's painful, but it's... The only failure is not trying. You know, if you go in there and you try, you will, you will fail sometimes, you will lose, you will make mistakes, but that's, you get up and you go again. You, you just got to keep getting up and keep going again. And at the end of it all, when your career's done and dusted, you look back and think, well, you know what? I won a lot more than I lost. And it was a great journey. And that's it. You know, and then you've, 
you know, if you take the mistakes you made and the wisdom you've got from that now, hopefully, and then try and instill that into others and help them help other people, help other fighters achieve. I think that's all you can really do. I think with boxing too, particularly given the, the amount of international boxing you did as an amateur, you just get to go to places that you just never would have imagined that that you would end up going to. I mean, particularly on that kind of circuit. You never would have thought growing up in Frankie in didn't see, think he was going to get out of Small Leaf Park. Israel, Ukraine, everywhere. It's mad. And these countries I'd never ever went to my whole life unless it was for boxing. Been to America four times for boxing. So it's crazy. But uh, like you just said, then I didn't never used to think about leaving Birmingham, to be honest. And then now I've been every, I've probably, I think I've put 42 different countries I've been to, or 42 different cities. So. The other week when we put him down, not not England, not included, or Britain, it was crazy when I threw it down. Yeah, if you if you look down, if you made a leap, got on the ball, then a list of paper, and you put down all the positives, and you put down all the negatives, be like this and this, yeah, you know, yeah. you know what I mean. So I think that's ultimately the end of it all. You have to look back, and yeah, you you'll know where you went wrong, and and and, and let them be a lesson. But I think to dwell on them's a massive mistake. You've got to look at the positives and realise the positives massively outweighed the negatives and be happy and be proud. That's what I, you know. I do think too you have to retain the sense of humour about the whole thing because just having this conversation here, most of the time you've been leaning back on the, on the ring post there just with a little kind of devilish grin on your face as Matt's outlined some of the, the pitfalls. And professional sport is... You're like big kids in a way, aren't you? Because you're playing out a dream. As hard as it is, physically and mentally boxing, you're, you're doing something that so many other people would just, just give their right arm to do. And, and you take it seriously, but at the same time, you've just got to make sure your eyes are open and you're looking around you and you're taking it all in whilst you're doing it. Because it's, it's madness, really, isn't it? In terms of it being a way to earn a living. Yeah, crazy. I'll uh, keep saying then. I was in gyms before and I'd never seen anyone really good. I think f- f- as from about 15, 16, seeing you in the ABAs was the first time I thought how good he is. I never really used to look around and think, oh, he's great, oh, he's good. I never. But then when I started seeing better for a lot, I remember when I first went to Crystal Palace, I thought about yours the night before because you took me. And uh, when I went there, I started seeing different things, thinking how good are these. And I think from being around better fighters made me a better fighter. Like Mario Kindle in the box team. And uh, I think that made, I know I lost, but it's the biggest learning curve I've ever had. Stuff like that. And I think, like you said about bitterness, if you're bitter now, I'm only going to be bitter from my other fighters. They know they're only not going to. They're not even going to enjoy being with me. Well, to be honest, I'm not saying I'm the funniest person ever, but I have the most banner in this gym and most of the gyms I've been to. I always look for a laugh and a joke, and I think it keeps the other fighters on their toes as well. Because we got Charlie Gaffey, yeah, you know the Gaffey as well. I remember when he came here, ten one four. Recently, now his last five fights have been with me. He's won, he's won five. Won a Midland title, he's won the East Midlands Box Cup, three fights in three days, beat some good kids. I think uh, now that we're having a bit more banter, we're not like, like we t- every training wise is serious. Once we have a break, we'll have a laugh and a joke. We always go out together, we go out for food together, we always chill around and say we're going to watch football together. Last week had a charity game, football game, game of football. Five of them come and watch and supported, and we had food after. I think I'm not taking it too seriously. Obviously, I'll never take them out for beer or anything. I'll take them out for food, I'll go and have a laugh with them, but then they've got to know when they're in the gym, it's serious. Do you think then, listening as you talk then, do you think then at times um, the seriousness, maybe the pressure of the professional game got to you a little bit? Oh, most definitely, yeah. I thought, of course, yeah. Everyone expected to think, oh, Frank Evans going to piss this, he's going to win this, he's going to do this, he's going to do that. I think a couple of times when I boxed for sale, 
was one of the first ones at the pro people going, he's not strong enough, he's going to get KO'd by him, he's going to get done by him. I remember it was getting into my head a bit, but then when I was in the changing room, it's in Olympia, everyone knows what that's like. We're both warming up next to each other. It was crazy, a British come out of fight, both undefeated, warming up next to each other in the Derelict building. And then uh, I looked at him on the pads and I thought, there's no way this kid's going to beat me. And I was half laughing to myself, then my confidence flew up. I was like a really nervous fire horse, thought I was going to get beat. But the minute I'd be doing that ring walk, I thought I could beat anyone. It was mad. It's interesting that because we were talking to, to Frotch a few weeks ago, Carl Frotch, and, and he, more than most people, would probably give off this kind of image just because of the way he boxed and his chin and, 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 and what he looked like, I guess, that, that he'd be bulletproof and, and just wouldn't feel nervous. But he said it was the opposite, particularly when he was young. He described to us about how he was waiting for a junior tournament to start or a junior fight to start once and he went to the to the bathroom and he was just thinking what you know I could just jump out the window now and run away and it'd be fine like I'd get over it I might get a bit of bit of ribbing but it'd be fine Frankie's laughing because he could completely identify with that probably the two worst people I've ever seen before a fight was Frutch and Frankie Gavin Frankie Frankie and Frutch like and two top 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 fighters yet Time and time again, just like nerves gone, weren't they? When I watched Witter, I was scared in the chamber. Billy Joe walked in. What the fuck are you worrying for? You're smashing. He's got nothing on you. Look how old he is. And he just sort of turned it all around. Billy Joe did not make me see a different thing to it. Yeah, I was really. Nervous. Joe Selkirk was another one. Sean Farhead didn't he throw a gum shot out the window once? <laughs> yeah, mate of mine. He, uh, he said I was in the gym that once. This was a small eight and. Uh, I just got there I just started skipping anyway and Bill Meddings he was like the matchmaker of the gym the secretary or whatever come in and goes oh, Faye what are you doing skipping your boxing tonight he said oh I've got no stuff Bill he said he goes don't matter we've got, we've got spare stuff in the car he's like oh no he says I've got to the, the gym I've got to the place anyway I've weighed in and that he says you've got to go and see the doctor I've got my gum shield out the bag and I threw it in a bush you know he didn't want to box do you know what I mean next thing put Mark Ramsey he's going it's alright I've got a spare like this, so that you know those ones that you heat up in the kettle or something. He said, "I was looking at Mark Ramsey, thinking I hate you." You know what I mean? He said, "Anyway, he goes, I've boxed one. I was buzzing. Do you know what I mean? I was delighted that it happened, but he was terrified. He just did not want to box. Do you know what I mean? He, because it was sprung on him, and he, he, you know, he was obviously thinking, you know, the nerves got the better of him. But in the end, he, he boxed and won. So were you like that from the start then? Because you can't have been surely because if you had been then you just never would have kept going with it uh, I weren't as bad at first I think the, the outside pressure maybe might have happened because as an amateur I was the same thing with Billy Meddings I remember I was at, I was at a show in uh, the Beaufort Social Club it's about a mile from my house and Bill's going come here Frank I remember I had a can of pop in my hand half a drink and a pack of crisps because jump on them scales so I was back to no because no keep your clothes on so I've jumped on in my clothes and yeah that's sound I've, I've gone what, what and because you're fighting no gum to your boots because yeah go get them so I had to run home get them run back and then fight. I remember I won pretty comfortably, but it just weren't the point the way I used to do with Bill Meddings. I'd get a phone call on the, the day, the minute I'd leave school, come on, you're fighting tonight, stuff like that. But yeah, the nerves, I think, as I got better, they come on. Pressure. Pressure, yeah. But I'd say more as a pro than an amateur. Nah, shit, as an amateur, I used to be bad as well. I remember as I got to senior level, when I went to my first tournament at 64, I boxed on pole. He was six foot four, couldn't believe it. He just beat Bradley Saunders. And I was devastated in the change of thing. I drew him I was good but then I went and beat him even the Commonwealth Games I remember I thought a kid called Avidu Bobinat he's Romanian but he boxed for Cyprus he knocked uh, Dave Mulholland out he weren't a bad lad he just beat the two Olympic bronze medalists and I was nervous in there but I didn't realise how good I was and I used to worry about them than worry about my, my strengths So what's the current situation do you have plans to, to fight again or are you in a place now where you're happy enough to kind of 
let it go. The, the reason I ask is that when a fighter does hang them up, is that maybe one thing that you're going to leave behind and think, oh, well, that's over now. I won't get those nerves again. You'll miss the adrenaline, you'll miss the anticipation, but there are obviously things about it that you won't miss. It's crazy how you say that because I've been at a few tournaments lately. I've got Jay Turner, Charlie Gaffey, as I said, and a girl called Shano Tawley boxes for us. They've all fought high level. And I get ridiculous nerves for them, never mind me. And I'm not walking in there and I think I'm more nervous than them. I always say a little prayer to myself even about them before they fight. It's mad how it goes. I get really nervous for them, so I don't think the nerves are going to go anyway. But part of myself, I keep it on every day, every week, and yeah, I'm going to fight again for them. <laughs> I can have a bag of chips or something, I don't know. Or something, but I, do want, I don't want to finish on a loss, to be fair. But, and I've seen the rankings. I've already had my number three in Britain. I know with Liam Smith and Cal Book above me, so who knows if an opportunity come, but obviously I've got to get back into training. I'm back training, but not fully disciplined yet, so we'll see. But this place is where your your focus is going to be for for hopefully, boxing wise for, for the rest of my boxing career. But as a coach, yeah, definitely. Uh, we're also looking at another place now, right by where I live. We've been offered it, so we're looking at that. But we want to keep this for definite. Let's go from there. Maybe open a couple of gyms. Who knows? Looking for the next Frankie Gavin. Hopefully, mate, yeah, hopefully. I was just thinking back when Matthew was talking just like being blown. It's always like, people always come at different times. Imagine if me, Matthew, Robert, Cal, say Niall Fowl was on his way through now. If we all would have come in together, everything would have like worked a lot better. So with Liverpool and London, you have like 10 decent fighters come through. Look at Newcastle now, that Burley gym. I didn't really look at four kids, number one at 60, 64, 69 and 75. So they're all probably going to go pro together. So they're all going to have it good together. So hopefully, if I can bring a few, a few through, say Eastside, Hall Green with Tom Chaney, we all get a few together, then we'll see. Well, it's been great fun coming down to talk Thank to you. Thank you. And this place looks really, really good. I just really like the way it's, it's, it's kind of decked out, actually, when you look at it. This won't really work on an audio format because people can't see it, but there's a lot of kind of like strip bare wood and there's, there's everything you can need here, really. It's a good tight space for it. It's a boxing gym, proper boxing gym. And it's just tucked away. You wouldn't necessarily know that it, was, that it was here, which is fairly typical for boxing gyms as well. Quite a lot of Frankie shorts and other memorabilia around the, around the gym walls. And it's, it's kind of important. If it were me, if it were me, then I, I would want some of my stuff on the walls around the gym. I, I would want these kids who might not necessarily remember my fights to just be able to look at that and just you know put some manners on them every now and again maybe if they were just uh, wondering what my credentials were yeah uh, to be honest this weren't really me order decker I've run the gym as a partnership with a lad called Craig Storer I grew up with him as a kid he's one of my good friends and uh, to be honest boxing wise I've took over the gym but as like the bills and everything collecting the money and all stuff like no me I'd probably take it out and then have to Scrape together to get it back at the end of the month. I have to go through the role ever. I'd, so he runs all the business points for you, all the amateur stuff. I just I match make the fights, which is hard to be fair. I match make all the shows. I like do most of the corners. But we've got a few coaches here. We've got a lad called Chrissy Clift. He's a very good, he's like the head coach here. He does a lot. But to be honest, Craig's always done like everything the gym wise and that. I when we first coming out, I couldn't even get a, like any uh, how do I pull it like as in the gym like there was no atmosphere. It weren't like a boxing gym. Like, I was thinking, why are we here? Like, I didn't want to come, but then when we got the ring up and everything, then the atmosphere come. And if you can see it now, last night we had, like I said, 60 odd, it was on live on my Instagram. You can see the atmosphere from last night, it was brilliant. Well, that pretty much wraps it up for today. But just before I go, there's one thing that I just needed to talk about. Uh, Boxing Futures is a charity that I've been doing 
a good amount of work for over the last few weeks, the last few months that I've got involved with fairly recently. And we were approached by a family from Newcastle not that long ago who were hoping to raise awareness of mental health issues. That's what Boxing Futures does. It works with people throughout the community who need a bit of help in just engaging with other people, but also helping their mental health through exercise. Uh, And the Maguire family from Newcastle reached out to us because their son, Connor, who was an aspiring young fighter up in the northeast at Washington, B.C., completely out of the blue, really. There's there's no easy way to describe this when something like this happens, but he was studying for his A-levels. He had seemingly everything going for him, young man, 18 years old, and he just came home and took his life one night. And obviously it was utterly devastating for the family. It was an enormous shock, but the way they've responded to it has been incredible, really admirable. Just wanted to try and raise awareness of that and just get the message out there that if it can happen to somebody like their son, it can happen to, to absolutely anyone. And that is something we all need to be alive to and aware of. And just that simple question to a friend or family member, whoever they may be, is are you okay? You just never quite know how far that can go with somebody. You never know quite the response it will get and the, the difference it, it might make. So we just wanted to dedicate this episode of Macklin's Take to, to Connor's memory. And as I said, it's a, it's a tremendous thing that the family are doing, even though this is an incredibly painful time for them to, to think of others in the way that they, in the way that they are. So that wraps it up for today. Thanks for listening. Frankie, thanks very much for your time. It's been really, really interesting coming down here. It's great to see you in your environment here training, training on fighters because I think that's, you know, I think that's something that you're absolutely made for given your, your amateur experience. And uh, Matt, good to see you as always. Give us a right rate on iTunes if you get the chance. Five stars, that's what we're interested in. Anything less than five stars is really, that's not for us. Save that for, for other people. And uh, I'm only joking. We, 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 we share the love here on Macklin's Take. We, we listen to all sorts of other podcasts and big, big fans of all of them. So we'll catch you again next time. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.